when I was a kid, uh, one day, one of my brothers and I, we, we rode our bikes uh, up through the lane, not far from our farmhouse, kind of up, kind of between the fields. And as we were riding up, we came across something. It was a beautiful purple flower. Wow, never seen anything like this on this, this uh, trail before. So we, we decided we were going to pick it and take it home to mom. There was a little bit of problem, though, that the stem was full of all these sharp, prickly needles. But we were undeterred, you know, we were going to try to find a way and, and with our bare hands. And we, you know, pain is no problem when you're picking a flower for your mom, right? And so we worked on it. Finally, we, we tore that stem and we brought it home. And uh, mom was really happy to get it. She, she put that, that flower and put it in a vase and some water and, and set it on the table, on the dining room table. And then uh, a little bit later uh, was... Um, you know, Dad came in for, for lunch, which on the farm you call dinner, right? And uh, so Dad sat down, and uh, we told him a story about how we found this flower, you know? And he looked at it, and he says, okay, uh, where'd you find it? We told him. He said, well, after dinner, I want you to go back and cut it down. What we learned then is that what we had picked was called a must thistle which is the most noxious weed of all the Great Plains, you know. And uh, so, so for my brother and me, our flower selection was flawed, but our hearts were in the right place, right? Now, uh, how, however, I want you to know that in our family, there's a whole lot more going on than this, than this wonderful, nostalgic, heartwarming uh, story suitable for Mother's Day. Uh, you know, throughout my middle school years and into ninth grade and maybe beyond, I had really a lot of shouting matches with my mom. You know. And then my, my brother that I found the flower with, he ended up getting kicked out of our, of our house before he graduated from high school. Uh, I remember last weekend uh, I was at a re wedding reception and talking with someone, and she said, uh, now you came from a family of four sons, right? And I go, Yeah. She said, your mother must have been a saint. I said, we tried. <laughs> you know, it's so easy when you come to church to assume that, you know, everybody around you, they've got all these really perfect families and everybody's doing well and look how great their kids look and, and everybody's doing well except you. Well, I want to tell you that's not the case. We don't have any of those, you know, super great flawless families. All the kind of families we hear at Faith Westwood that we have here are flawed families. And that's why in this series we are learning how to be flawed but following families. Maybe your family is one of those that avoids conflict. Well, we don't want to bring it up because it might feel uncomfortable, even though we really need to say it. And, and maybe there's an addicted person in your family who seems to get all of the blame and makes the rest of the family feel better. You know, if you can kind of blame the one. And maybe your family kind of believes that you know, the only way to be happy is just to go, go, go and be on the run all the time. Whatever flaws your family has, take comfort in this, that the most, some of the most flawed families you'll ever find are in the Bible. Did you know that? Some of the most flawed families you'll ever find are in the Bible. A thousand years before Jesus, uh, uh, David was the king of Israel. He rose from humble shepherd boy to the champion over Goliath. He was a, a musician and a poet 
and a famous warrior. He was called a man after God's heart. And his 40-year reign was sort of the golden age of Israel. But look at his family. His father, Jesse, thought that his youngest son, David, was the least likely of any of his eight sons to amount to anything. His older brothers thought he was conceited and irresponsible. David was married when he had an affair with Bathsheba, and then David had her husband killed so he could marry her. One of David's sons, Amnon, became obsessed, obsessed with his half-sister and forced himself on her. In revenge, Amnon was murdered by another of David's sons, Absalom. Absalom then staged a coup to try to take the throne away from his father. So if you're looking for a biblical family, there it is. And what made the difference for this flawed family is that God didn't give up on David, and David didn't give up on God. They were flawed, but following. And our, and our theme for this three-Sunday series is very simple. Follow Jesus at home. Let's say it together, shall we? Follow Jesus at home. Take what you're learning from Jesus, uh, from how to be his follower and how to live the life that he wants us to live, and now take it home. Treat your family members that way. Today we're going to discover what it means to be frustrated but forgiving. Frustrated but forgiving. One time, uh, Jesus was asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, that can be so frustrating. And Jesus says, don't forgive seven times. Forgive 77 times. Or the translation I learned growing up is seven times 70 times. And you think about it. Who else but a family member is going to sin against you that many times, right? I mean, my little brothers could do 77 times in one day. Nobody has the ability to frustrate us like family. And no marriage, by the way, no marriage will survive without lots of forgiving. Marriage requires forgiving on nearly a daily basis. So, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles now to Colossians chapter 3. The Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1184. Um, and, uh, you know, we give away a Bible almost every Sunday, and how we do it is really simple. All you have to do is just take that Pew Bible home with you. You can have it, you can keep it, you can, you know, make notes and highlights and underline in the, in the margins, however you want to do it. Uh, because You can just do all that because it's, it's yours. Uh, now, today, we're going to focus the message just on verse 13. Usually, I kind of walk through a whole several verses, but today, we're just going to focus on one verse. And the first four words of verse 13 are, bear with each other. Bear with each other. Now, because some, why do you do that? Because sometimes people frustrate you. Sometimes people seem unbearable. So, it's saying, don't get bent out of shape. Roll with it. Bearing with someone means this. I give you permission to not be perfect. All right? I give you permission to not be perfect. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to turn to somebody near you now and just tell them that. I give you permission to not be perfect. Go ahead. Just, just do it. 
okay, how, how does that feel? You know, I mean, you already knew you're not perfect, but it seems, does it feel good to kind of have that permission from one another? Uh, so verse 13 starts out, bear with each other and forgive one another. So what does it mean to forgive? Well, let's start out with what forgiving doesn't mean. Forgiving doesn't mean that the offense didn't matter. It means like say, well, no big deal. Well, because a lot of times it is a big deal. You know, if your spouse, you know, won't answer their phone and they don't come home until 2 a.m., that matters. It's a big deal. When you find out that your kid lied to you, <laughs> that matters. That's a big deal. And forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. I'm going to change the name of, uh, names to a true story. Years ago, Austin's brother Dallas talked their parents into giving him the family business and you know leaving Austin out in the cold with nothing and Austin was just furious and you know just resentful for a long time uh, eventually though Austin was able to forgive his brother and his parents but you know there are still times when he thinks about it especially when you know D Dallas kind of flaunts how much money he's got you can forgive even when you find it may be impossible to forget. And forgiving doesn't mean that you're ready to trust either. For example, you can forgive your sister and brother-in-law for, for buying alcohol for their 16-year-old's birthday party. And, you, you, you know, you forgive them, you spend holidays with them, you talk to them on the phone. But that doesn't mean you're let, ready to let your underage kids go to the lake with them for the weekend. Forgiving and trusting are two different things. And forgiving doesn't mean it no longer hurts. Charlotte uh, discovered her husband Bryce had an affair. I mean, she was just ripped apart emotionally, devastated by the betrayal. Uh, they separated. They went to counseling. She eventually came to the point of forgiving him. And in this case, they were then working on rebuilding the trust and reconciling. Charlotte assumed that because she had forgiven him, that meant she was over it. You know, like, hey, I'm, I'm over that, I'm past that. Until one day she sees her husband innocently chatting with a woman in church. And suddenly all of that anguish, that anger, that suspicion just came boiling up. So let's suppose Charlotte comes to me and says, Pastor Steve, I thought I'd forgiven him. I mean, if I've forgiven him, why does it still affect me like this? Why does it still hurt sometimes? And I say, Charlotte, it's because you're, it's because you're human. And even when we forgive, it doesn't mean that we can command our feelings, right? Your forgiveness is genuine even though you still hurt sometimes. So that's what forgiving isn't. Let's go back to Colossians 3.13. You got your Bibles open? It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Now let's read the last part of that verse together. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did Jesus forgive you? Well, first of all, we didn't deserve it, right? While we, it said, the Bible says while we were still uh, sinners, while we were still his rebellious enemies, he took our sins, he took the curse of our sins upon himself. 
uh, Jesus said that, you know, when he, before the cross, they were getting ready to crucify him, he could have called a whole army of angels to come to his rescue and wipe those people out who were trying to kill him. But he didn't. Instead, he forgave them. So, what I want to propose here, I believe, is the foundation of all forgiving. This is base level forgiving. Okay? Here it is. Forgiving means wishing no harm to the one who harmed me. That's it. And this is what I want us to, to grasp today and to take home and to ask God to help work this into our lives, into our character, how we relate to people, especially our family members. Forgiving means wishing no harm to the one who harmed me. Does that make sense? It means letting go of any thoughts of getting even, any plans you're trying to make. It means, it means no longer hoping that they're going to fail. You know, I hope they crash and burn, right? You know, no more. It means when they're in need, you would help them. First Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil, do not re or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. That's what Jesus did, right? He repaid our evil with blessing. So, forgiving means what? Let's say it together. Forgiving means wishing no harm to the one who harmed me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have Bruce and, Bauer, Bruce and Brenda Bowers come on up again and, and share with us. Last Sunday they did that as well. And they're planning to do it again next Sunday. So, uh, and, and last Sunday uh, we kind of gave the spotlight to Bruce to share, you know, your story, Bruce, and the, the, your perspective. And, and today we're going to hear more, a little more from Brenda, but from both of you. Uh, but for those who weren't here last Sunday, would you just kind of introduce yourselves? Tell us who you are. Sure. Um, I'm Bruce Bowers. This is my wife, Brenda. We've been married for 34 years, and um, we have four wonderful kids, ranging in age from 31 down to 15. Okay. Uh, Bruce, I think in order to kind of get into this, it might be helpful if you would just recap the, uh, the story that you opened up last Sunday. Sure, sure. So, um, so there was this point of conflict between my wife and I um, that had been kind of brewing for uh, somewhere between two and three years, and every once in a while it would come up. We'd try to try to not let it get too big, but it would uh, it would bubble up occasionally, and uh, when it did, it would it would always be unpleasant for both of us. So um, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, I think, uh, there was the occasion where it boiled up into a really knockdown drag out. We had a, we had a really bad argument. Um, so bad, in fact, that she ended up, uh, uh, well, we ended up separated and she moved into a different part of the house and um, and I was totally okay with that. I, uh, as far as I was concerned, we were, you know, our relationship had run its course. Um, 
and uh, a short time, a few days later, uh, I'd had a conversation with my daughter and we had a little family meeting and um, some words that she said kind of knocked me down a peg, you know, made me take a step back and realize, hey, maybe there's a, maybe there's a different way to look at this. Maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not doing things quite right here. Maybe I need, to, maybe it's my fault and not everybody else's fault. So um, I thought about that quite a bit and I prayed about it and started realizing, yeah, that that, <laughs> that was indeed the case. And so I went to, I started making efforts to try to get things repaired. Yeah. It was hard. So uh, I thought one way I might be able to do, to get things back on track would be to go get a couple's Bible study and have a Bible study with my wife. And so I'd gone up to the bookstore and went right past the aisle where the couple's Bible studies were and right to a section that was titled Men, and God directed me to one specific book. It's called Strongholds. And he revealed to me that I had, I had allowed the evil one to set up some strongholds in my life that... Um, was um, that was tearing my life apart and tearing my family's life apart and the the biggest one is pride and that pride caused me to behave in ways that were not godly that were not fatherly were not a very uh, were not a witness for Christ at all so did a lot of praying about that um, a lot of learning about that and then uh, uh, this is this is a part of my story I didn't get to last week, but <clears throat> I should probably tell you about it. So um, that stronghold of pride sends out little feelers. It's like weeds in your yard. They can start having other areas of problem. And and another area that um, that was a stronghold was you know it's very embarrassing to say it, but I was a closet smoker. Closet smoker. A closet smoker. I I tried to hide it from my family. I tried to hide it from the people that I work with. But it was that something that that was my old self. That uh, well, I never fully one hundred percent gave up my life to my Lord, to my children, to my wife. I always held on. To something and that smoking was part of it. It was kind of symptomatic then. It was. It, you know, and I'm not here to condemn people who choose to smoke. That's, you know, that's not my business. That's not what I'm about. What I'm about is that it was it was that stronghold. It was something that I was holding on to that I knew my wife didn't like, that I knew would hurt my kids, that I knew was was damaging my own body. Um and I needed to give it up, but I didn't want to. It was a very selfish thing. So um, a lot of people, a lot of ex-smokers can give you the exact day and time, uh, the exact date that they quit smoking. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I do know that it was at 3.12 in the morning because I woke up and I had this weight lifted off my shoulders. Mm. It was like, 
you're done with that. You don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> and I was so thankful. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so, you know, Brenda, you know, we've, I'm kind of looking forward to having you share now what was going on from your side of all of this because, you know, we've heard a lot from Bruce, but, you, you know, this is your story too. So mm -hmm. what's, what's been happening there? Well, you need to understand that this was a very slow, this took 33 years to turn into what it was last year, and it was a very slow deterioration of a relationship um, that didn't start 100% anyway, be, and because when I met Bruce and married Bruce, I knew he had this other side, this guy's side that was his, and at the time I thought, well, it's, it's just a, you know, it's an immaturity. He'll, he'll grow out of it. And instead, it kind of just got a little worse over the years. And so um, our biggest fights um, would have been centered around something I wanted him to change usually because it wasn't an obedience to God or something I had asked him to do. Smoking was a big one. I asked him many times over the years to quit for our kids' sake. And he, um, he just wouldn't do it. And so, and I just could not wrap my brain around the fact that he wouldn't do that. Our big, one of our bigger fights was a few years ago, um, I was on my knees begging him to quit smoking for his children's sake. And he just told me no. And I, every time we'd have these big fights, I would go to God because I didn't know what else to do. And I would just say, I can't do this anymore. And I couldn't, I couldn't do this anymore. And God would say, it's okay, I've got you, I'm gonna hold you up, just wait. And every time I would say, okay, fine. And, and that fight with the smoking, when he said that to me, I said, fine, but I don't want to. And that was the first time I said, I don't want to. And he said, it's okay, just wait. So I did, and then that a few years later, we had our crisis last year. And last year was a little different because um, the reason for that big me moving out and all that was, um, as we said last week, my prayer after our arguments for the past two or three years was that God removed the scales from his eyes. And um, I had reached a point where I didn't think that was going to happen anymore. I know you've lost the mic. Hang on just a second. You got it? Okay. Uh, anyway, I had reached a point where I didn't, even though I would pray that prayer, I thought there's no way. He's never going to change. God is never going to work in his life. I might as well give it up. And then to see that actually happen was amazing to know that God can really work in somebody. And he listened. And I think that's a crucial part of it. Um, but that big fight that day, um, that was different because... He didn't give me a choice. It, it, it was choose his way or choose God's way, and his way was not God's way. And if you make me, you know, even though I'm supposed to be an obedient wife and follow my husband, and that was his argument, I couldn't do it. I had to choose God. And God blessed that and started yes, working in his life big time. And so that's the day that you moved into the other part of the house. Yeah, yeah, right? that was the day I moved out. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, Brenda, what's it like to forgive someone all these years who won't change? 
<laughs> well, I'm not sure I 100% forgave him in those earlier arguments. Um, yeah. Instead, I just kind of, maybe part of me held on to a little bit of that frustration. Uh, but last year was different because, and even though in the first week, that first week of, of him going through his, his stuff with God, and I was in the other room, I could hear some of these conversations going on through the walls with him and God, and I thought, there's no way. He, this is too fast, he's not truly changing, there's no way somebody can truly change in a week. <laughs> and then I started to realize I was really broken and I had a lot of work to do on me. And so um, I think the main thing that made that different is that to see him over time really start to um, listen and change mm -hmm. according to how God wanted him to change and to be obedient in his walk with Christ and to watch him actually truly be broken, um, whereas in the years past, it was just talk, and I could feel that difference. Yeah. Uh, I think that was, that was what did it. And this past year has been really helpful. Um, time can be very healing. Um, watching him grow in Christ and, and learning, you know, being able to look back. And, and granted, we did get professional counseling. We got a lot of help. Um, taught us a lot of things and how to look at things um, the way God would look at them. And that was, um, that was a big part of it. But I think over time, um, God has really been able to work in both of our lives and, and, and has truly removed that frustration that I was holding on to. Yeah. So at, at first, Bruce, you know, he kind of has this awakening. Things are popping in his head. He said, Brenda, let's fix this marriage. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. And you're going, hey, I don't know, this is... I wanted to run. I didn't believe him. It was too fast, too much, too fast, and I didn't trust it at yeah. all. And I thought, I, I am not going to do it again. I told him that, too. I'm not doing this again. And so I just wanted to run. And so, Bruce, what are you thinking? You're thinking, hey, I'm doing better. Let's, let's, let's make it... <laughs> what, what, what's going on in your mind then? <laughs> Well, one, one thing that was going on in my mind was, yeah, just my luck. You know, <laughs> I finally get things fixed here. And um, God finally starts working on me. And, oh, my gosh, it's too late. That was one thing. But, but as, I, as I started studying, as I spent a lot of time praying, as I spent a lot of time, um, it, you know, we went to counseling, as she mentioned. Um, and I started understanding some things about myself that... that uh, I started to understand why she was hesitant to come back. And I knew that, you know, I had I decided to give this to God. You know, if the Lord is wants us to have separate lives for his glory for whatever reason, you know, I could live with that. I could be okay with that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't that way at first. <laughs> I was very intent on getting getting my relationships back to the point where they should be so that we could, we could grow in the Lord together, um, which is, you know, what's been happening a lot over the past year. But, uh, yeah, at first I was, I was trying to do it myself <laughs> instead of letting God do it in his time. Okay, so go ahead. I think that's really important. Um, and I think this conversation applies to any relationship, mm -hmm. family member, friend, coworker, anybody. Um, and so um, that 
flawed, but following, I think the following is a really important part of it um, because this is not something we could fix on our own. Um, we're flawed. And to, to really be following in a different way, in a deeper way, um, that's a broken way, and to just really trust that God is in this, I think is super important. So, you know, forgiving was one part of the thing that's been happening, but also, you know, some rebuilding, some repairing and, and restoring trust. So how, did, how does this begin to happen for you guys? Slowly. Um, it wasn't overnight. Um, I think that, um, you know, again, that's God through prayer and, and, and Bible study, I think a lot of that has been to trust in God first and that God has a reason for this. And we do, you know, we still take day at a day at a time. Um, you know, it's not, it's not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, but the anger is not there anymore. And the frustration on my part's not there anymore. So I feel like we have a better foundation now coming through this. Um, we've learned a lot. And, and I think time has a lot to do with that. And also, we're learning to laugh again um, together. And that was what drew me to him in the first place when we met many years ago. He made me laugh, and we had lost that. And laughter is just super important a part yeah. of life for me anyway, and, and yeah. to rebuild and kind of start over. In some ways. Well, yeah. I, I really want to thank you all for, you know, kind of pulling back the veil and, and seeing your life and nobody would have known if, if you hadn't shared here today and um, wh what's it like to be opening up to there's a bunch of people here. family yeah that too yeah well you know I, I, I will tell you that I've had some I've had some people come to me and say wow that's that's really a brave thing you did opening up like that and you know I'm here to tell you I, I'm not brave <laughs> um I'm extremely embarrassed. Um, I, I've always wanted to be a good dad, a good husband, a good Christian, um, and but somehow, you know, this got this like. Well, I guess sin happens, right? So, um, you know, it's repentance and asking for forgiveness. And then, uh, then obedience. And so really, it's not about bravery to share our story, to share our failures and our successes. It's more, less bravery and more obedience because God wants, to, God wants us to share our story because, you know, I'm sure there are probably couples in the church that have this, you know, made in heaven relationship that started from day one all the way to the end. But I think if there is that, it's probably more the exception than the rule. And I think that um, people can identify with failures in relationships. And I don't think it's just couples either. It can be anybody, right. any relationships. Yeah. Well, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll return to this next Sunday. Thank you. All right, now, before I wrap it up, I want to give you one thing that you can do and take home with you that's going to make an immediate, an immediate impact on your family. 
I call it doing the relational laundry. How often do you do laundry at your house? Every couple days, every couple weeks? Kind of depends how much socks and underwear you have, right? Uh, but you, you, can't let the, you can't let the dirty laundry pile up forever. Healthy families do their relational laundry often and quickly. Did you get that? Healthy families do their relational laundry often and quickly. They don't let little offenses pile up and stink up the house. First, say something like this, and this is, you know, any counselor would, would teach you this kind of language. I felt blank when you blank. All right? For example, I felt embarrassed when you made fun of me in front of our friends last night. I felt like I didn't matter to you when you didn't show up for my concert. I felt frustrated when you didn't clean up your mess before you left. And when you say this, you are facing the fact that something stinks around here. You bring it out into the open because that's the only way you're going to be able to, to work on it together and resolve anything. Now, that's sort of what you have to do to set it up. Here's how you actually do the relational laundry. You say something like this. I don't hold it against you and won't bring it up again. Do you hear the forgiveness in those words? Now, you don't have to use these exact words, but I can tell you these words will work. They're very powerful. Let's give it a try. I don't hold it against you and won't bring it up again. What if you, what if you addressed a, a conflict or some way you were hurt or offended and, and, and at the end you said those words? Would that be powerful in your family? I don't hold it against you and won't bring it up again. As in, in the next argument, <laughs> I won't bring it up again. You know, after a while of doing this, where it becomes clear that you are gonna, you're going to be the kind of person who's not going to bring it up again, not going to hold it against the other person. After a while, you might not even need words. You might be able to say that with a smile or with a hug, and that'll be enough. And you will have communicated that message, I don't hold it against you and won't bring it up again. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are the model forgiver. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we have got so much to learn from you. We want to keep learning from you about forgiving and how that brings life into our, our families, into our relationships, into our lives. Lord, we, we confess that sometimes our unforgiveness is, is a stronghold in our lives. We just sort of cling to this to this right that I have to to hold my bitterness and desire for revenge uh, wishing for that other person's downfall so Lord just help us to release ourselves from that um, and uh, Jesus we ask for your help we can't do it without you let that forget show us how much we are forgiven so that we can pass on that same grace and forgiveness to others Jesus, we love you. We want to learn from you and be your people in this world. In your name we pray. And all God's people said.
Amen.